0: And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. Hey folks, welcome to the Thursday edition of the Whitfield Report. I am your host, Sam Whitfield. And uh, today's episode is going to be a little different. I'm actually going to be playing... A, uh, a flashback episode of the uh, Whitfield Analysis, which is my own podcast. Um, as many of you folks may know, I uh, I interviewed Ben Shapiro back in 2012. And uh, it's been a while since I've played that interview. Uh, many people have asked for it so since we just celebrated our 11th year anniversary of podcasting here at the whitfield report i figured i would go ahead and uh play that episode for you uh this week for the thursday edition uh, so without further ado uh, i'll go ahead and play that for you after the uh quick commercial break enjoy Alright, so before I play the interview for you guys, I just want to give you some quick background uh, as to how this originally came about. So, uh, as I've mentioned on the show before, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Andrew Breitbart, the uh, original founder of Breitbart News, a true conservative journalist and a true conservative warrior who will be missed. Uh, And I also explained in my tribute to Andrew Breitbart's show how uh, his death, while it was a sad moment, was also the moment that really activated me. Uh, So at the time Breitbart died, uh, Ben Shapiro was one of the editors-at-large of Breitbart.com, and uh, I had always wanted to get Andrew on the show, Andrew Breitbart, but of course, you know, since he passed away, I couldn't. So I, uh, one day I just kind of got the crazy idea when I was a senior in high school to just reach out to uh, Ben and see if he'd be willing to come on my show and talk, uh, you know, politics and talk his background and... Uh, At the time, we were in the midst of the uh, 2012 election when I interviewed him in October of 2012. So uh, I emailed him thinking that, you know, I I wouldn't get a response. And uh, lo and behold, he actually said yes. And uh, we made the arrangements to have him on the Whitfield analysis. And uh, it was great. Now, at the time, and this is also important to note, i was uh I was hosting the Whitfield analysis on blog Talk radio, which uh, many of my fellow podcasters will know uh blog Talk radio. uh basically that how that system would work is uh you would basically call in uh, to their service almost like a conference call uh service and you so you would call in using your uh cell phone and um, broadcast that way. And then you would have a control panel online where you could accept calls or, uh, you know, play video clips or uh, play audio clips, I mean, and whatnot. And that was how the broadcasts were done. Uh, the reason I bring that up is the blog creative audio quality is not that great compared to what we have today. Uh, The show basically sounds like you're on a conference call, uh, you know, and your guests sound like they're on a conference call. So I bring that up, you know, only to say, uh, you know, before any guys start, you know, bitching and moaning and writing me tweets and emails, uh, oh, the audio quality sucks, you know, uh, this is terrible. Well, you know, keep in mind, it was in 2012 and, you know, podcasting was not as big as it was even back then, as it is today. We're we're really living in a golden age uh, nowadays of podcasting, but, uh, you know, it was kind of broadcasting and at radio back then. So, anyway, um, nevertheless, I want to play part one for you of my interview with... uh, Ben Shapiro, and, uh, I hope you guys will enjoy, enjoy it,
1: uh, enjoy. So, um, first of all, sir, I'd like to ask you a little bit about yourself. How did you, uh, get started, um, in the blogging industry, I guess?
2: Oh uh, well, you know, I, uh, I started off when I was really young. I, I started off as a columnist for the UCLA Daily Bruin, uh, and then got a syndicated column, about uh, a year later, when I was 17 years old, so I was the youngest syndicated columnist in the country. Um, it was about that time that I met Andrew. Actually, Andrew saw my column in the UCLA Daily Bruin uh, and was impressed that there was. Some, this is how Andrew was. He was impressed that there was somebody there who uh, who was conservative, uh, and uh, he emailed me out of the blue. He was the other half of, of Matt Rogers' website at that point. He had nothing to, you know, he had not started his own enterprises at all. Um, and uh, he said, why don't we get together? And we ended up at like a taco shop in, in Westwood, which is typical Andrew. Um, and, uh, you know, over time, my career grew, his career grew. And by the time he hired me, we had been friends for, you know, over a decade. And he uh, he said on Dennis Miller's show that it was the longest political, for, political flirtation uh, in American history because we'd been talking about working together for about a decade. Um, and uh, so he hired me And, uh, you know, unfortunately three weeks later he, he dropped dead, which was obviously tragic for everybody So, um, you know, it was just It was through the grace of God That I was uh, allowed the opportunity Number one, to know Andrew But number two, to, to help out when he died Carrying forward his legacy Wow
1: what, well, what, well, You know, he was one of my uh, Heroes as well I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anyone uh more passion passionate than him. Um what was he like as a person?
2: <laughs> uh you know, it, it's funny. Uh he was Andrew described himself pretty well. He he understood himself pretty well. He he said that um he was he basically had two modes. One was uh one was kind of sheer hilarity and the other was complete Nutter, righteous indignation which is of course the name of his book and uh that was pretty much that that's pretty accurate that's who andrew was he was either random like extraordinarily upset with the political situation and, and fighting all the time uh or he was uh jocular i think he used the word jocularity a lot um so that's that, that's who andrew was. He, was he was hysterically funny uh one of his favorite things to do with me was that i'm an orthodox Jew and very socially conservative uh andrew was not socially concerned he wasn't socially liberal he didn't he he wasn't he wasn't really into social politics very much um but he was very uh you know he he, he used to like making dirty jokes in front of me and then uh and and then waiting for me to laugh uh, and then he'd kind of look at me and wait for me to laugh uh and then he'd start laughing hysterically as soon as I gave him a little bit of a chuckle. So that, that, that was one of Andrew's favorite things. That, that's kind of who Andrew was. He, he was a prankster. He, was, he, he, he saw himself as a merry prankster. He was somebody who liked to have fun with it. Uh, in the last years of his life, obviously, as he became bigger and bigger. Um, it, I think it was still fun for him, but it also became a much more serious game for him. He, he became much more serious about it. Uh, he always had a good time with it, but he, he saw kind of what was at stake in the country, and especially with the, the leftist reaction against the Tea Party, uh, he became much more of the righteous indignation guy and uh, the jocularity guy had to take a vaccine because we we're living in serious times.
1: Yeah, uh definitely well, he he will be missed. Uh one uh question relating to his death that I do want to bring up real quick before we get into Benghazi because I've been getting emails about this. Um there are some individuals out there who believe that he was assassinated.
2: No, it's I don't not think... true. There's no evidence to that whatsoever. I knew Andrew I knew Andrew longer than anybody at the company with the exception of Larry Soloff, who since he was five years old. Uh there's no evidence to that effect whatsoever. Uh Andrew had a congenital heart defect. Uh he was adopted, so nobody knew that he had a congenital heart defect because nobody knew his parents. Um and uh and so, you know, he he just dropped dead. I mean there was there was no there was no alcohol involved, no drugs involved. There's was, it wasn't about his weight, it wasn't about anything except uh probably a certain amount of stress and, uh, and, his, uh, and, you know, this, this congenital heart defect, there's no evidence whatsoever. That there was any, you know, anything dirty afoot. I know in the days after he died, there's a lot of talk about that. Um, and those of us who knew him well, uh, you know, we knew that it was, it was nonsense right off the bat, but they, you know, there were a lot of people obviously who were trying to make a big deal out of that or suggest that it was the case. There's again, no evidence to suggest that. Um, and, uh, in fact, there's, you know, evidence to the contrary. So,
1: all right, well, that's good to hear i I never believed it either myself um but anyway uh one of the um reasons why I brought you on here other than that I'm a big fan of your work is um I saw your article um that you wrote you've been writing you guys have been covering uh this whole issue with Benghazi a lot, and um So I just want to ask you a couple questions. Um, So my show is targeted primarily at the high school uh, generation and the college generation. Um, So my first question is, what do you think is going on with uh, Benghazi? Why is the president... um, Why has the president been so um, incompetent with the situation? Uh, And why is... This important to America. Well, I mean,
2: it should be important to every. American.
0: We'll be back for part two of my Ben Shapiro interview after these messages from our sponsor.
2: American, when Americans get killed, but I mean, beyond that, this is a reflection of the uh, of the president's cowardly foreign policy. Uh, He's somebody who had suggested everything was sort of hunky-dory in Libya and preferred to ignore the ramifications of what was going on in terms of the terrorist threat there, just like he's preferred to ignore the ramifications of the terrorist threat, particularly Islamic terrorism everywhere else. Uh, there, There are several issues to do with Benghazi that are incredibly disturbing. The first is, how is it even possible that we don't have Marines on the ground protecting our ambassador in Benghazi? We're not talking about having Marines on the ground to protect our ambassador in, say, France, where, by the way, we do have Marines that protect the ambassador. We're talking about freaking Benghazi. Okay, Benghazi is one of the most terrorist-laden places on Earth. The entire city was controlled by a terrorist group called Ansar al-Sharia. It turns out that was the exact terrorist group that murdered the ambassador. We didn't have security there. That's question number one. Question number two is why the president then proceeded to blame a YouTube video for several months. Right, I mean, for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, going on two months, he, he blamed the YouTube video uh, for, the, for the assassination of our ambassador, which was insane. I mean, there was nothing to do with the YouTube video. So that begs the question of why did he lie about it? And the answer as to why he lied about it, it's turning out now, is because he had every ability to stop what was going on in the terrorist attack, apparently. Apparently, we had drones in the, air, in the area. We had gunships that were available to go to the site of the terrorist attack. We had, told, we had agents available, and they were told to stand down eventually because they were heroes. They just ignored the order and went to save their comrades. But um, this is what the Obama administration is all about. They're, cow- they're cowards. Um, and on foreign policy, they've been hiding behind the, uh, the bin Laden kill for several years at this point. Uh, and the fact is this. The bin Laden kill was not a foreign policy. And any president, any president, including Jimmy Carter, would have made the call to kill bin Laden. That was not even a close call. What is a closer call is do you send support? to save our ambassador, and President Obama stood there and did nothing. Apparently, I mean, there are now reports coming out that he was sitting there watching it live in the Situation Room at the White House as this whole thing was going down and didn't do a thing to help save our folks. So, I mean, it should be disturbing to every American when the President of the United States is not doing anything to protect our ambassadors, to protect U.S. staff. It has nothing to do with politics. This is impeachable stuff. Um, and for him to suggest that people are just playing politics over the death of Americans, is it's insipid. There's no there's no justification for, for him for that accusation his righteous indignation after during the debate was maybe the saddest display of political chicanery that I've seen in my lifetime I
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more I think it is impeachable stuff what um, the whole thing just stinks um, you know I'm uh, I'm a senior in high school and I've been in this talk radio thing I've I've been involved politically for the last uh, four years doing a blog and a, and a talk show, and I've never seen this, most, this uh, much corruption from any uh, political uh, office. One of the things that completely baffles me, though, it, it doesn't shock me, but I think it is an issue that needs to be brought up. Why... Are we not hearing about this from the mainstream media? Well,
2: I mean, the answer is because, and this is one of Andrew's big kicks, but, you know, the mainstream media is, uh, they're they're lackeys. They're lackeys for the Obama administration. On the Sunday shows this morning, I mean, our lead piece on the site was this, um, you know, written by Joel Pollack, who's our editor-in-chief, and and Joel and I discussed it before he wrote it. The the, the fact is that the Sunday shows this morning didn't, didn't even ask a single question about it. The only person who asked a question about it was Bob Schieffer, and it was a follow-up question to something that a Republican asked. So what we're watching here is the mainstream media trying to run out the clock in this election cycle. They think that if they just ignore Benghazi, ignore Libya, it won't have any effect on the election. They're wrong. Obama's going to lose. And one of the reasons he's going to lose is because he's a coward on foreign policy, and we're seeing it.
1: Do, do you think that – like, it, I, I don't want to go on into conspiracy theories here, but I honestly think that the president is trying to hide – Something sinister here. Am I the only one that feels that way or I mean, is
2: No, I mean I think I think we have to wait and see what all the information is before we know exactly what it was he's trying to hide. But there's no question he's trying to hide something. Um, you know, at the beginning we thought maybe he was trying to hide the fact that there was a terrorist attack at all. And now it appears that he was trying to hide the fact that he could have stopped it and did nothing. Um and now there are, you know, other rumors out there about what exactly we were doing to Benghazi in the first place. There was a CIA office there. Um you know there there are questions as to what was happening there, so what we're watching right now is the unraveling of the Obama foreign policy, and Paul Ryan has said that and says so mitt Romney and they're exactly correct so obama's foreign policy is based on uh i mean it, it really is chewing gum and bailing wire uh and they just they they have no clue what they're doing uh he, or if they do have a clue what they're doing, it's even more nefarious than I'm suggesting right now because if they have a clue what they're doing and this is their and this is how they act, then uh there is no justification for this administration.
1: No, no, there certainly is not. Well, um, Mr. Shapiro, I certainly uh thank you for your time, and uh, I'd like to talk to you more in private, maybe about helping out with Breitbart and some of that stuff. But in the meantime, uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for coming on. And uh, where can we find you other than uh, Breitbart?
2: You can follow me on Twitter, at Ben Shapiro. That's the easiest way to see all my stuff. I also write a syndicated column for Town Hall. And if you want to listen to me on the radio, you can tune in every weekday, 6 to 9 a.m., A 870, which is uh, one of the stations in Los Angeles, so dot All right.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Thanks a lot.
0: And that'll do it, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you so much for listening to my Ben Shapiro interview thank you for supporting the podcast for 11 years now and I'll be back later this week with more podcasts.